doubt is going to wake up with you every day. You have to face it, right? And understand that courage is doesn't mean you're not afraid, right? But people say he got courage. He's fearless. No, it, 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 courage means that you are scared as hell, but you do it anyway. Welcome to Behind the Sweat, a podcast that goes deep into what it means to be an athlete. I'm your host, Alexandra Weissner, athlete, coach, and entrepreneur. This season, I'm sitting down with all different types of athletes as they share their story and answer the question, what does it mean to be an athlete? Earlier during quarantine, I watched a film on Peacock that left me feeling inspired. I was so moved by the story. The documentary was A Most Beautiful Thing, the true story of a group of young men growing up on Chicago's west side who formed the first all-black high school rowing team in the country. The film was based on the memoir by our guest today, Arshay Cooper. Today's conversation left me feeling inspired and in awe of this man, who is a true role model. Not only do I want to try rowing, Arshay has inspired me to look at my own life in a new way. I know that you will really enjoy this conversation. If you've not yet seen the documentary, watch it tonight. This documentary truly embodies the impact youth sports can have on an individual's life. Here's my conversation with Arshay Cooper. Welcome to the podcast, Arshay. I am so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, uh, hey, Alexander, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be on the podcast. Again, my name is Arshay Cooper. I'm from the west side of Chicago. Uh, grew up um, in a community called North Lundale. It was a, you know, a neighborhood that had a lot of talent. I think we explained to young people that a lot of talent, but not a lot of access and opportunity. And um, you know, and you know, the property there leads to a lot of gang violence and drug addiction and, and people who dealt with a, a lot of trauma, right? And 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 you know, like my mother who was a drug addict and she explained the uh, dealing with her trauma, she had to drink, you know, to not to not feel anymore. And in that community you see a lot of drug addicts, you see gang members, you skip over pools of blood growing up, you run for your life, you hear gunshots when you sleep, right? And you know, we experienced what some soldiers have experienced in war, but before we were 15 years old, while the brain is still developing. And um, and so you de- develop this survival mechanism. And, th- and that was every day, just heading to school. And, and uh, you know, the school I went to was a, a good high school, uh, athletic high school, but one of the most violent high schools in the city. And, and um, you know, I had two brothers that was in gangs and one little sister that, that I love so dearly. And, um, you know, my mom recovered and, and, and um, you know, and as a young person, I was looking for something, you know, tried many different things. And then I remember saying, I think sports may be my way. What was it about sports that you were like, let me try this out. And kind of how do you think that played into your childhood before you got into rowing? Yeah, I think this, it, it, it was, you know, it was hard work. So I was like, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of just sweating all the time and being tired and, and, and being sore. But it was the 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 role models, right? It was the Michael Jordan and the Gary Payton and the Muhammad Ali and and, and, and watching their life, right? And, and them in the spotlight and hearing their voice um, kind of inspired me to just work hard, no matter where I'm going to end up in sports, it was it was watching those guys, and I think that um, 
you know, and going out to play, honestly, you know, I, tr you know, I'll try to play basketball as much as I can, but it triggered a lot of trauma, right? So trash talking sport. And so you hear things like you suck, you garbage, you're not good, you're never going to be good. Things you hear growing up, you, you know, the same things you hear from your teachers sometimes. And, and I want to fight, you know, it triggered a lot of trauma, you know, and even if you try it out for football, you know, the culture's like, knock him dead. And you're like, this guy's trying to hurt me. I'm going to hurt him first. And, 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 you know, and so, and that's because you grew up and you're, you're like, you're, you're running, you're fighting, you know, there's a lot of things happening around you, you know, and so you're, you know, you want to protect yourself at all times. And, um, and so that's, was kind of my relationship with sports, right? You combative sports, you know, and, um, you know, so that, yeah, that's what it was like for me before running. That's, I think, a very interesting perspective to how to bring your life outside of sports and your life in sports, that it was this constant, like, you were running from something or, and trying to protect yourself in both situations. Yeah, ab absolutely, you know, and, you know, there was people out there, it, it was – it was an outlet for them, you know, and, and, and they loved it and they spent most days doing it. But for me, it, you know, as I was, you know, it was a co constant conflict. One thing you mentioned before was access and opportunity. What kind of access and opportunities did you see as your options at that time? Yeah, the access and opportunity was basketball. It was football. It was little league baseball. But you had to be extremely athletic or gifted to even make those teams, right? And and you go into it saying that I'm going to get cut because I know everyone that's already trying out, right? Doubt w wakes up with you, walks with you when you whenever you're trying out for something. You do it because you want to be a part of it, right? And, and, and there's some popularity to go with it. And, um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my... Uh, my take, I think it was just those ball sports, sports that was not ex that 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 was um, not expensive, right? Like literally, you need all you need is a ball. And if you don't have the, you know, if you don't have a ball, you know, it, you know, you or or ram, you create a, a milk crate and you cut it open and you you hang it up on a tree and 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 you play that way. Or a bat was cheap and the baseball was cheap. So I think we had access to those things that really wasn't expensive. Yeah, those are the sports I can remember we had. Yeah, so tell us, how did you end up on the rowing team in high school? Yeah, I, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, Manly definitely was a basketball, football school, and a little bit of baseball, and for the girls, volleyball and basketball. And, um, again, you know, you have 900 people in school, maybe, you know, 150 people are on those teams, and you have everyone else who's just kind of like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I walked in the lunchroom one day, and, and I see this boat, this white boat. It was beautiful, like amazing. And I stopped and stared, and this little white lady came. And, you know, it's an all-black school. And she was like, hey, would you like to be on the crew team? And I was like, crew? You know, you taught in Chicago. The moment someone asks you to join a crew, you run as fast as you can. Like, I'm confused. Crew? What is that? You know, you know, so many crews in Chicago already. Now they have little white ladies asking you to join a crew. Like, what's 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 going on here? You know, and um, you know, and she said, "Let me show you what you know what what it's all about." So behind the boat was this TV monitor, and they were showing the Olympic games. And right away, I looked, and 
It was all only white people rowing. It was only white fans. And I was like, oh, no, you know, the the images didn't reflect what I'm used to seeing. Right. And oh, who I'm used to being around. And I said, no, and that's, you know, I sat down and I told my friend, I was like, I can't believe they're trying to get us to to row. You know, we don't even swim. You know, and he was just like, exactly. And no one signed up. They were trying so hard. And I remember the next day I show up and the boat is still there. And this time there's a long line and people are showing up. And they said, if you sign up, you get free pizza. And everyone loves Chicago pizza. You know, and uh, and I talked to my friend Preston. I was like, I can't believe they're still there. He's like, no, I think we should go for the pizza. And I was like, no. And I was like, if you hook me up with this girl, Grace, I'll go. And he was like, all right. So I go upstairs after school, the info session. And all these kids are sitting on the floor. And I know these kids. These kids are sons of drug addicts, sons of drug dealers. Um, and um, one of them, like, what is happening? And, you know, they ask everyone to sit on the floor. And right away, I see a female coach. And for boys' teams, you don't really see female coaches, especially in the 90s in Chicago, all boys basketball, all boys football, baseball, and that, none. And in our neighborhood, most young guys were raised by – I was raised by women, right? And most of our teachers were women, so I was comfortable. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And then there was a one black coach. So right away that told me that um, – Maybe someone's going to look out for me, right? I knew that maybe if I joined this team that there would be black people on the team with you, but to have someone in leadership that looks like you shows that, you know, maybe shows our family that we, we will be protected, right? And so that made me feel comfortable. But I think the, the founder, Ken, this Jewish guy, uh, he spoke so passionate, passionately about the sport. And usually when someone talks about joining football or baseball, they talk about the cheerleaders, the million-dollar contracts, the, you know, buying your family a home one day, getting out. Like, and this seems so far out of reach. But what Rowan offers is this ability to learn how to swim now. You travel now. You practice downtown now. You build a bond and a brotherhood now. You do something new now. And that, and that was everything I needed now. And so – um. I remember looking at Preston and saying, oh, how do we sign up, right? And uh, and I think it was also um, never being anywhere, right? And, 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 and he sold us on the now, and he sold me on the brotherhood because I only had one friend. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. Well, that is such a great intro into the sport. And, wow, what was it like? Do you remember – the first time you were on the water? Yeah, it was it's beautiful. I mean, it was choppy at first. You know, some of the guys were crying, right? And then we would push back out. The same way that when you're in an, out in the neighborhood and you hear gunshots and survivor mode kicks in and it says, run, right? Um, I got that same feeling when I was in the boat when I thought, you know, maybe we will drown, right? Survivor mode said, okay, listen, in order to get back to the dock safely, Dennis, you – must pull for each other, right? And we all knew that. And so in order to pull for each other, you kind of have to just shut up and listen. And only in, in the sport, only one person is talking, and that's the coxswain. And so when you're quiet, the coxswain is like, sit tall, breathe. You belong here. And when you begin to take some strokes and follow the person in front of you, you begin to build this connection in the boat. The boat becomes steady. 
and then all this fear is kind of reducing, right? And you can see the downtown view, and it's, it's beautiful. And you know, you're and you're just like in, near the water, right? We all know for those who've been around the water, just like if you was at the beach, it's so calm. If you know, if you know, if you're in the shower, just finally collecting your thoughts. Or when there was a rainstorm, you just want to lock in. We felt all that. Felt all that at the same time. And we was just downloading serenity because finally I'm somewhere where I don't hear no police sirens. There's no bullying. There's no gunshots. There's no running. It's just one person talking. And then the sport becomes purely meditative. There's some people who meditate a half hour a day and it completely change your life. But to be out there two hours a day really helps. And teachers would say to a young person, when they're angry, you're a walking storm. And I heard that a few times, but the sport truly calms the storm in you. And this is the first sport where I felt that it like this really reduces the trauma. It's no conflict, no combat. And it's something that we all wanted to experience every day. And quite frankly, it's a sport of suffering. Like you work so hard that, you know, even if you're upset with your teammate, you don't have the energy to push them afterwards, you know. And uh, but the, the water is became healing. It's a rhythmic sport. You develop a magical rhythm and the sound of the blade hitting the water, that constant motion um, um, really, really helps. And, and, and um, that was that was like really the first real experience with the water. I could just imagine that. I've been to Chicago once, and I can just like, imagine what you just described. It, that just sounds so beautiful and magical, and just even talking about that movement as meditation. I think that's something that you know, lots of times people think they need to sit in a room by themselves on a cushion to meditate, but sometimes we can just find that meditation while we're in movement. What kept bringing mm-hmm. you back to the sport and wanting to get out there and really be part of this team kind of walk us through the rest of your high school journey with the team yeah you know I think it was um that feeling right number one of being in the water number two just being a part of a team finally you know someone who wants you and I think it was the elimination of dreams right I had a kid tell me one time when I was speaking in Harlem he said uh, I asked everyone, what's your dream? And one kid said, um, to eat at Chipotle. And I thought he was kidding. And then I reflected back on my life. There was no way I would have been able to afford Chipotle if it was if it was out back then in the 90s. You know, I can barely afford the guacamole now, you know. And so, and I remember telling the school counselor, I said, hey, we have, here's $20. You have to make sure this kid eat Chipotle. And the reason why I said that is because if I can eliminate that dream, his dreams become a, a little bit bigger, right? And I've never been downtown. And the moment I was downtown, I was like, I need to go out of town, right? And then we go to University of Wisconsin for a day. And I was like, we need an overnight trip. And then we go to University of Pennsylvania, right? And then we get the boat moving fast. And I'm like, we need to race, right? So every time a coach put you in a position, where you're eliminating these dreams in your life, your dreams get bigger. And not only your dreams get bigger, you have gone so far that you say, I can't go back, right? I can't go back to where, the way things were. And, and that's what kept me going. 
seeing that every dream I had was constantly being eliminated. And, um, and, and, and so I stuck with it and, and I, and I embraced the pain that came with the sport because um, the beauty of it outweighed it. And, um, and so, and then I started building relationships with the guys on my team. And I think what helped us connect, because these guys were from different games, what helped us connect was the fact that we were the only ones out there that looked like us, right? Or we go to a race and there's no other person that looked like us. And we said, you know what, we have to stick up for each other. We have to make sure we look out for each other. It's kind of like, you know, many, many, many years ago when, you know, when there was race wars in our country and, and they would go out to another country and fight war, white and black Americans together. They're like, listen, we're isolated. We're here. We have to fight for each other, right? And so we kind of had that mentality. Um, and so that's what helped us get along. And we, and, and we build an incredible bond. And, and then those road trips, right, those hours of just being in a van or a bus, to a, a race regatta um, kind of help, you know, help us to get to know each other. And I think the last thing I would say to that is that, you know, it wasn't just the fact that you just, a boat is there and the oar is there and your life is completely changed. But when you have true youth development coaches, coaches who uh, are asking you what keeps you up at night, what keeps you going, how can I help, right? Um, kind of facilitating these icebreakers, uh, these team building workshops to help us to get to know each other. Um, that's what I think kept us going. Tell me a little bit about your teammates. Yeah, you know, you have um, first Alvin, who became the co-captain, and I did not like Alvin, you know, as, as only because you know, he's fighting all the time, and I'm like, dude, like, why are you fighting? I wasn't a fighter like that. You know, and I definitely judged him. And I even told the coach, I was like, he shouldn't be on the team. And the coach was like, chill. And I remember when we went to Philly, I sat next to him, and I, you know, because I saw he was really into practice, right? That, you know, and he was really showing up. And so I sat next to him, and, and I was like, dude, like, how are you, why are you fighting? He said that I never had a fight because of me, right? In my neighborhood, in order, right, to not get jumped you have to join the game and have protection you know what would you do you know and um and i told him i was like you know if you notice that you know you've been here for a couple months and you haven't been hanging out with them you've been in practice every day you made a new choice you know and and so you know and and we and so i started i showed up at his house every day after that to pick him up we walked together to school and we became brothers. And you had Preston, who, who talked me into going upstairs. Who, you know, mother was like a drug dealer, right? Made money, was known for that. And and and, and but Preston found beauty in, in 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 the water. And you had Malcolm, who is was the strongest, right? The tallest guy, um, funny, hilarious, you know. But you know, his family was born in the South, like mine's, and. He had a lot. He had a hard time rowing with us because his dad didn't want him in this sport, right? You know, Malcolm's mom, brother, was hung on a tree, and that's what that's why she moved away from the south. And so, with that kind of trauma, an untreated trauma, you don't want to de like just deliver your kid into an all-white space, right? You don't want them to experience what you experienced, and um. And although I felt like the sport was him, for him, he had to sneak to practice, right? And uh, and that was hard. So, you know, we 
have all these challenges. And we had Pookie G, who was our coxswain, who he knew, you know, he wasn't even at Manly High School, but, you know, he, he, had, he, he knew that the team was there. He transferred over to Manly because he wanted to be on the team. And, um, and so that, that was pretty awesome. Then you had another group of guys who, were, who grew, we all grew up the same and, you know, from, di- from different neighborhoods, but all, you know, got along eventually. At first it, it was rough, right? And we didn't get along, but uh, we found love in the sport and then we found love in each other. And, uh, and then we had who I would say um, one of my favorites, Josh, who was the baby brother of the team, right? He, he was a comedian for sure. He would sit on right down the stairs and everyone would listen to him do comedy at school. And uh, he joined the team. He was a genius. Uh, he had dreams of going to Second City, uh, but unfortunately, he you know he he was killed in a drive-by shooting in the neighborhood. And um, yeah, and, and we lost him, you know. And so our coaches not only had to coach us, but they had to always coach us through crisis, right? And 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 help us to kind of use the fire that we have inside of us and 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 give us opportunities to let it shine brighter than the fire that was going on, going on around us. Speaking of your coaches, what impact do you think your coaches had on your life now looking back at it? Yeah. You know, I think the lessons they taught, right? Like they would say things like leave the boathouse better than you found it all the time. Right. Even if we did, it was like, there's a bigger message here. Right, so leave the boathouse better than you found it, even if you didn't make the mess. Now, if we can leave the boathouse better than you found it, even if you don't make the make the mess, it leaves room and and um for the next group. It it, it allows things to be easy for them when they when they go into the boathouse. But what that meant for us is like, how do we leave the sport? How do I leave the classroom? How do I leave my friends? How do I leave the world better than I found it? even if I don't make the mess, right? And I think that's a lesson that we all can learn, right? You hear a lot of white people say, ah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there doing slavery, right? What do I have to do, you know? And I think there's a responsibility to leave the world better than you found it, even if you don't make the mess. Why? Because it makes it easy for the next generation and for the now generation. And like those lessons that they thought that was just as important outside of the boat, that it was inside of the boat, was important, right? The, you know, leave. I can't do the work of eight people, but I need eight people to do the work in a boat, and we'll get that much faster. And so that's the lesson that I took with me, and say, everything I do, as when I was a chef, or you know, when I build a staff at different organizations, that I can't do the work of eight people. I need eight people to do the work, and we'll get that much faster. How do we use? How do we use everyone's talents, right? How do we get everyone moving in the boat? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we make sure that we're following each other, right? How do we make all these leaders into followers, right? And, and so we can move together. And so those lessons that we learned inside of the boat, they made sure that we understood that it's a lesson that you can use outside of the boat. No, and I think so much of what you said is so important right there. And just le- having leadership like that and having someone to look up to to see that because I think a lot of people – you know, they just say, it's okay, like, I can't change anything, but having that mindset of knowing that we're leaving this world and that every situation that we're in better than we found it, it creates more opportunity for so many things. 
Yes, absolutely. So now let's chat about the documentary a little bit. How did a most beautiful thing come to be? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I wrote, the, I self-published the book first, Sugar Water, uh, before it became a most beautiful thing, and, um, you know, I, you know, everyone will say, like reading the book, they were like, man, this should be a movie one day, this should be a film one day, and I kind of knew that, and I remember tweeting out to you, Smith, Steven Spielberg, hey, check out this book, it could be a good movie, and then, um. And I remember I got a tweet from Mary Mazia, who's an Olympic rower, and she said, read your book, love it. Looked her up, and I was like, oh, wow, she's done a lot of films, like, uh, with, you know, that's related to what's going on in the world today, and, and it made an impact on lives. And so I was like, you know, would you ever? And she was like, you had me at would you, you know? <laughs> and uh, we got together, and I was like, you know, I think we should do this film. But before, I think you need to do a ride-along with me and Alvin in Chicago. And she came with us, and, and we showed her the city and the potential in the city, the things that were happening in the city. And right away, she called up Grant Hill, NBA player, her friend. And, and he was like, yes. And, and then they connected with Dwayne Wade and Common and the Winklevoss twins and all these other other folks who uh, thought it would be great to be a part, you know, and, um, and and I called the guys and I was like, hey, we're doing the film, but we're getting back in the boat, you know what I mean? And so um, they were excited about that. I called up the Olympic coach and I was like, we want to race. We want to do it for our city, you know? He was like, hell yeah. And uh, we started training and that was hard, you know, we were like pushing on 40 and backs are hurting and, and stuff like that. But um it was it was just a, a most beautiful thing to even um, be a part of that. What was it like to get back on the water and to get back on the water together? I mean, it, yeah, it was great because we, you know, we was in a barbershop after we lost one of our coaches and we were reflecting on our team and we all had different reasons, right? I think for Preston, he was like, I want to go back and, and, and undo my mistakes, right? I, he, quit, he quit the team early. Um, for me, I wanted to show the new generation a different way. Alvin wanted to celebrate that he was still here, and Malcolm wanted to do it for his son. And um, you know, and I think that we all had different reasons. We understood it, and we were excited too. And at first, it was rough, right? <laughs> it's been twenty years, and uh, but once we found found the rhythm once again, right? And uh, we started we started that those meditative um sessions again and it, it, it was it, it was beautiful and we understood that this time that we will have a crowd watching us that our families will be out there our friends will be out there and, and and more people in the world will see it and i think that you know sport is important it's not popular but i think having that kind of representation of brown faces um for the the new generation that we want to be a part of the sport was super important so it that's what helped us push through the pain what was it like to have your family support Awesome. You know, it was great for us. I think it was um, even better for them because, you know, because some mom worked two jobs, some mom, you know, we couldn't afford babysitters and some were doing anything out in the streets that they couldn't see it, but they heard these stories for so long. They read the book, right? And it really felt like, man, we wish that we was able to see this. And I think uh, it was great for us. I think it was even better for them that, you know, it, you know, that, they were out there, so I think they enjoyed it more than we did. 
What kind of, so let's talk about rowing in your life now. Do you still row? Yeah, unfortunately, due to COVID, we're not. We was going to train for another race for Chicago Sprints again. Uh, you know, we was on our way to train and COVID hit. So I think, you know, everyone's indoor rowing, they're erging. And, you know, I'm just kind of spend my time talking to rowers and trying to keep them motivated and uh, sticking it within the sport, even though they didn't have a chance to be on the water. But, you know, I just got a new boat, which is awesome. Haven't got on it yet. Um but it's a great sport. You know, it doesn't matter your age. You know, you can always compete. You know, there's 60 and above uh, competitions where you can win really good medals and there's big crowds, you know. So I think I'm going to be, you know, trying to compete um, uh, forever. I think that's great because I think that's a huge thing, too, is to find something, especially when you find something that you love, how can you do this for the rest of your life? Yep. Absolutely. Where do you, yeah, where do you row outside in New York? So you can row in New York. So there's three um there's three places, the Harlem River, the then there's this little bay um uh, by the Jamaica Bay um uh, that you can row in. It's called the Patican Bay. And then there's the Queens Flushing Queens Lake, you know. So those three places you can actually row within the five boroughs of New York. And then when I go back home to Chicago, we'll try to get together and row again at the lagoon or on the Chicago River. Yeah, that's got to be incredible going down the Chicago River. And... Such a beautiful city. It's, it, you know, and it's till this day, from when we were young to now, whenever, like, the river, I mean, it's right by Chicago, Lakeshore Drive, and black people will see you rowing, all of us, and they will just blow their horns, you know, because they take that route every day and only see white people rowing. And the times we get together and we're out there, you can see they start blowing their horns. So it's it's pretty awesome to, to to witness. What do you think rowing has taught you about life outside the boat? Yeah, I think you know what what you put in, you get out. Right, rowing is not a athletic sport. It's not based on talent. It's really all about spending hours beating on your craft, working on your technique. Like the amount of time you put in is what you get out of it, right? So um, you see the results immediately. Like you can have like Shaq who will practice free throws for the rest of his life and he's just never going to be good at it, right? You know, or you have like one of the shortest players in the NBA who can try all his life, but he's never going to dunk. But for rowing, it's all about your engine, right? Your cardio. So it's just like running. The more you do it, the further you're going to go. And... I was a D student when I started rowing, but when I start, you know, when I started rowing, I um, will stay later, go early, and erg. And those there was people that were stronger than me, that had more talent than me, but no one had better scores than me because of the amount of time I put in on that erg machine. And I was just like, wow, there's people in the classroom that are smarter, right, uh, that are more talent right and better grades but if i can work before class after class when they're out hanging out i'm working when they eat lunch i'm working and i that mentality i just had that mentality for the you know i carried that mentality for the rest of my life i I was a top 10 student right like everything like i'm gonna write a book i never took a writing class right but i i learned i read i, I worked hard at it you know and 
um, search for things in my life, right? It, you know, all these different things, everything I wanted, I kept, pretty much got it because of that lesson of of outworking your opponent, you know, and and, um, and I get the results that I want. So that, I think mean, I would say that's that the lesson that I, I take with me. Yeah, it's that investing the time in yourself and your goals that mm-hmm. really helps you move forward. Yeah. What message do you have for young black men today about setting goals and dreams? Yeah, you know, I, I would say you don't, you set goals, right? You set, you know, you set goals for yourself, for your life, um, short-term goals, a few short-term goals, a, a, a few long-term goals, right? You know, whatever you're passionate about. Uh, but I would say that you don't wake up and say, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to build this great big wall, like Will Smith said. You wake up the next day and you just lay one brick as perfect as you can every single day. And then you will have that wall or you will have that bridge. Because there's so people, so many people get caught on like, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do all that. It's going to be great. And it just never happens, right? So I woke up and said, I'm going to just do this one sport. And I started banging it out. And then when I graduated, you know what? I'm just going to work at one place, right? And then after that, I'm going to conquer this. And I'm gonna, I have developed this tunnel vision. But I think you try to accomplish something every single day that will help lead up to that goal, right? And I think for black men also that, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help, right? One of my favorite photos uh, is, is this turtle that I saw sitting on a fence. And right away when I saw it, I was like, that turtle didn't get there alone, right? Someone helped that turtle get there. And I think that it's okay to take, to allow people to help you to reach those goals. Sometimes we want to do it on our own and we're taught, just make it happen. But I would say, you know, be patient, set your goals, lay one brick at a time, and allow people to help you, you know? And, um, and I, I, think, I, think, I think you can get there. I think that's a, such a good point where a lot of people don't want to ask for help and that kind of sometimes asking for help is looked down upon almost like you're not doing you're not good enough for this because you are asking for help where by asking for help it's actually showing that you know that you need the support of others to get to where you want to go yeah you know you're right like i have friends who still who who are like not where they should be because they would not ask for help i'm like screw that i showed up at ken's house almost every weekend, like, hey, I need money. Let me clean your garage, you know? Like, I I need you to help me with this. Hey, I can't figure out this college application. You know, I don't care if you think I'm dumb, whatever. I need help with this this college application. Help me, you know? And so, and and people will, you know? And I try to encourage young people, ask for the help, you know? Um, You know, it's, 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 it it gets, get you to where you need to be. And there's nothing wrong with it. No. What does your life look like outside of rowing? What do you tell us a little bit about what you do day to day? Oh, how many hours you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, so right now, day to day, I am working with the Pocock Foundation, and, and you know, I started a Most Beautiful Thing Inclusion Fund, which brings rowing into schools like Manly, and um, you know. Not only that, there are programs out there that exist but don't have a lot of resources for 
example, you know, there's a lot of rich white clubs out there, and they six days a week, and and they all go into Ivy Leagues, and they're competing, and they win in medals. But there's a lot of programs out there where someone would say, I want to start a rowing program. And they start that program, but they only have enough money to go three days a week. The boat's like 20 years old. Um, the coach is like someone who don't know anything about coaching but has a good heart. You know, can't get extra academic support or the best ACT prep. And so the kids are really not competing with the other kids that are out there. So our fund will go into and find those programs and give them all the resources they need uh, because they deserve it and so they can compete and be who they ought to be. And so that's really talking to coaches, coaching coaches, giving coaches DEI training, cultural competency training, that's understanding what they need and connecting them with like boat companies so they can so they can get what they deserve. That's like finding tutors of, of color and, and connecting them with the kids. You know, that's kind of my day to day and also doing talk backs. People are watching films and we're doing talk backs with a lot of corporate companies uh, around race and undoing racism and working together as a team. Um, you know, that's that's kind of uh, what I work on every day. How do you manage doubt when it creeps in? I think uh, a couple of things. I think the first thing is that, like I said before, constantly being in a situation where your dreams are being eliminated. So, you know, when you're constantly accomplishing every day and scores are getting better or you're going out of town and you're like, I did that, I'm ready to conquer the next dream, right? I think that kind of kills doubt, right? And I think it's it's doing things that you are afraid of, right? Um because doubt is going to wake up with you every day. You have to face it, right? And understand that courage is um, doesn't mean you're not afraid, right? But people say he got courage. He's fearless. No, it, 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 courage means that you are scared as hell, but you do it anyway, right? And I think the same thing with doubt. It's, it's normal. It's, it's going to come. It's going to happen. You have to just face it. The things that you're scared of, just do it, right? Do it afraid. Um, you know, I understand that your unlived life is waiting for you, but it's on the other side of that doubt, right? And so I, re I remember I was sitting in the boat and I would vision, visualize me doing something great. And I knew like on the other side of this pain in this 2000 meter race, on the other side of this fear, on the other side of this doubt of saying, I'm not going to do it. I just knew if I can get on the other side of this, if I can just will myself um, to the other side that I would get there, right? And so when I'm sitting on the machine and I'm going fast and I'm, and I'm pulling all my might mentally, I'm willing myself the same way um, to, 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 get, to get through it, you know? And I think it's us that talks ourselves out of it. People always say, failure is not an option. You know, you coaches, your coaches say that. It is absolutely an option. You have a choice. You can go left or you can go right. You can go failure or you can go towards success, right? And, um, you know, you have to just walk towards success, right? And, and every time you accomplish something, you know, your doubt goes away a little bit. Where do you find joy? And, oh, I have a one-year-old. I find joy in her life. I found joy by listening to young people. I have a lot of great energy, right, in listening to speakers like Les Brown and Eric Thomas and, and Gary Vee. Um, I find joy in walking, I find joy in upbeat music, and I find joy on the water. You know, that's, those are good places where you can find it. 
who or what inspires you today? Um, I think NBA players like LeBron James who put their career on the line, Kaepernick who put their career and their cash on the line to, to speak out against injustice and, 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 and racism, right? Um, the single parent mothers on the west side of Chicago who has it hard but still wake up and work two jobs to provide for for their kids um you know and and and, and you know and, and just again young people seeing what they're posting uh, that they're active they're marching you know um those 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 folks inspire me you know, this this generation right now that's coming up, they are very inspiring and I I don't have any kids yet, but I have a niece and nephew and just seeing the way they look at the world I think is a good reminder for all of us on how we can look at the mm-hmm. world. Absolutely. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of my team, you know. Um they've been through a lot, you know. Well, we live in a world that, you know, that really embraces social media like never before. And social media is like sometimes not who you are, but who you want to be. You don't really post the stuff that's really happening in your life. These guys went out there during this time and exposed themselves because they know that people are living in the same situation. Um you know, and uh, and so to do that, right, to have the kind of courage to put your life out there and, and, and our moms, I think is a, is, a, is a powerful thing. And then final question, what does being an athlete mean to you? Being an athlete means uh, pushing through the pain in the sport and outside of the sport. Um, you know, if you, you, you turn on the news and you don't want to get out of bed, but you do it anyway, and you fight, and you post, and you make calls, you tell people to vote, and you, and you, you, you clean up the neighborhood, you serve, right? Um, and then in practice, when your body is hurting and it's sore and it doesn't look good, even when your whole team is not motivated, but you show up every day and you give it your all. So I think it's giving your all and pushing through the sport, in the sport, and outside the sport. I love that, and I'm sure um, the documentary is great. If you haven't seen it yet, I will definitely link to that in the show notes, but I'm sure there's going to be some kids that are going to look up to you now and see you as a role model for their future. Thank you, Alexandra. I appreciate it. It was, it was fun talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Arshay. How can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, please connect with uh, Arshay Coupon, Arshay Coupon on Twitter. Instagram, or you can go to my website, www.rshaycooper.com. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. In the episode notes, you'll find some links from our partners. Please support the amazing brands that are supporting us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram at BehindTheSweat underscore. I'm Alex Weissner. Thanks for tuning in, and have an amazing Monday.